chapter 25 this morning, finishing up the chapter. Paul is continuing to talk about the struggle of the Christian life, the battle of the Christian life. The Christian life is a struggle and a battle, isn't it? Every day we face our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Every day we are attacked and assaulted by those enemies. Every day of our lives we are tempted and tried and sometimes failing as we sing. Paul talks about that again in these verses, the struggle and the battle that is the Christian life. But he also talks about the deliverance that is found in Jesus Christ. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he says. Deliverance, redemption, rescue, both now in part and in the future in full is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what we're going to think about together from these verses. But first, let's pray and ask God to open our hearts to his word. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word, to the truths that you have revealed to us in this portion of your word. We pray for the ability to listen well and to focus. We pray for humility and teachability. And we pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 7, I'll start reading at verse 18. 18. And read through the end of the chapter. But again, our focus is going to be on verses 21 through 25. These are the words of God. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. That dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Three headings in your sermon notes conclusion, expansion, and resolution. We'll work through these verses under those three headings. Paul begins with a conclusion. Let's look more closely at that in verse 21. Reading again verse 21, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So That is, in light of all this that I've been saying, in conclusion, 
I find it to be a law, and when he says law here, he means something like principle or norm. I find it to be a law or a principle or a norm that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So he says two things here. First, he wants to do right. He's already said that he agrees with the law, that it is good. He's already said that he has the desire to do what is right. He's already said that he wants to do good. And he goes on to say that he delights in the law of God in his inner being. He goes on to say that he serves the law of God with his mind. So clearly he wants to do right and not wrong. He desires to obey the law, not disobey it. He delights in the law and he wants to obey it. He wants to obey God. As we think about ourselves as Christians, in light of what Paul says here, we should, of course, be humbled by the fact that we don't always want to do right. Sometimes we want to do wrong. Sometimes we desire what is sinful, what is forbidden. Sometimes we don't want to do what we know is good. We want to do what we know is evil. Sometimes we delight in sin and we serve our own passions and desires. That's what our first parents did in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. Genesis 3 verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And we have inherited not only the guilt of Adam's first sin, but also a corrupted nature, a sinful heart. And even though as Christians we've been ransomed and healed and restored and forgiven through Christ, there is a remnant of corruption that remains in us. And so we don't always want to do right. And we should be humbled again this morning by that fact. It's not just our words and our actions that can be sinful. Our thoughts and our desires can be sinful as well. And so we need the grace and power of Christ through and through. And when we do desire to do what is right, like Paul says here, we can thank God for that desire because that desire comes from Him. It is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, both to desire and to do his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13 says. And so we thank God for that desire. So Paul says first that he wants to do right. But then he says, secondly, that when he wants to do right, evil lies close at hand. And he's not talking about the evil outside us, the world, the devil, he's talking about the evil inside us, the flesh, indwelling sin, the remnant of corruption that remains within us. Even when we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Whatever we do, wherever we go, evil lies close at hand. Whether we're at home or at school or at work, evil lies close at hand. Whether we're at the gym or at the grocery store 
even when we go on vacation, evil lies close at hand. Even here at church, evil lies close at hand. Evil lies close at hand wherever we go because we bring it with us wherever we go. There's no place we can go where evil doesn't lie close at hand, except heaven, and that's one of the reasons we look forward to heaven, so. But in the meantime, we can take heart, we can take courage, because evil, even though evil lies close at hand, so does the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also dwells within us, empowering, restraining, conquering, bearing fruit. Just like there's no place we can go where evil doesn't lie close at hand, so there's no place we can go where the Spirit of God is not with us. David said in Psalm 139, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Wherever we go, even though evil will always lie close at hand, the hand of God will always lead us and hold us. So Paul's conclusion, based on what he's been saying leading up to verse 21, is, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Then we find an expansion on that conclusion in verses 22 through 24. Let's look at those verses more closely now. Verse 22 actually expands on the first part of verse 21, I want to do right. And then verse 23 expands on the second part of verse 21, evil lies close at hand. So let's look first at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. What Paul says here is true of every believer. Of every man or woman or boy or girl whose heart has been changed by the gospel. Now that we've been given new hearts, now that we've been released from the condemnation of the law, now that we've been united to Christ who kept the law perfectly for us, now that we've been forgiven of all our transgressions of the law, we now delight in the law of God in our inner being. We can only delight in the law after we've been redeemed by the gospel, after we've repented of our law-breaking, and repented also of our own insufficient efforts to keep the law, after we've put our full trust in Christ alone as our law-keeper and transgression-forgiver. Only then can we truly delight in the law of God. Only then can we delight in that which is our duty before God. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
before we believed the gospel, they were burdensome because we couldn't keep them because of our sin, because we were under the burden of the condemnation of the law. But now they are not burdensome. They're not a burden to bear. They're a lamp to light up our path. They are our delight. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Paul says, for I delight in the law of God In my inner being, that is, in the inner man, in my mind, in my heart, in my heart of hearts, in my innermost self. 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Ephesians 3:16 That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 says, "Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear." But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. As God's people, we delight in his law in our inner being. So he expands on, I want to do right from verse 21, by saying, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now he expands on evil lies close at hand from verse 21 by saying in verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul contrasts my members with my inner being. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law. Members refers to the different members of the body, the physical body that are sometimes used for sin. But it does not exclude the quote-unquote members of the inner man. Mind, heart, will, affections, and so on. Because the flesh, the remnant of corruption, the residue of the sinful nature, manifests itself in both the outer man and the inner man, in both our actions and our attitudes, in both what we do with our hands and what we do in our hearts. And Paul says that he sees in his members another law 
that is another principle or perhaps another power. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The law of my mind refers to the law of God that he serves with his mind. Like he says down in the middle of verse 25, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. So we have the law of our mind on one side, and we have the law of sin on the other side. And Paul's saying that the law of sin is waging war against the other side, against the law of our mind. And apparently it wins sometimes because he refers to being made captive, which is what happens when we choose sin. We put ourselves back under slavery to sin temporarily until we repent and confess and are forgiven and restored. But there's a battle going on. There's a war that's being waged between the law of sin that dwells within us and the law of our mind, the desire to serve the law of God with our mind. Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? This is the struggle we all face. This is the battle we all fight as believers. If you think back over the last week, I'm sure you could think of some examples of this war Times when you had this conflict, this struggle going on inside you, where you wanted to do right, but you kind of also wanted to do wrong. And at times, perhaps you chose to do what is right, but sadly, other times you chose to do what is wrong. But either way, you experienced this tug of war in your soul. Now, the world, for the most part, would encourage us not to be so conflicted about all this. If what you want to do doesn't happen to line up with an ancient set of man-made rules, so what? Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Pursue your happiness. Don't get all bent out of shape about this. That's not healthy. Don't restrain and restrict your desires. Release them. Celebrate them. That's what the world says to us. That's what the evil one whispers to us. But it's not the truth. It's not the truth. The truth is that there is such a thing as right and wrong. And it's based on the eternal and unchangeable character of God himself. And it's been revealed to us in the inspired and inerrant law of God. 
And since we have new hearts, we desire to obey that law. Not because we're trying to earn our justification. That's already been earned for us by Christ. But because we want to please our heavenly Father who we love. Who has so richly loved us in the gospel. And so we want to obey him. We desire to obey him. And yet, sadly, we have an anti-God impulse in us, a pro-self instinct, a pro-sin inclination that remains in us, and we hate it, and we want to be rid of it, but sadly, we also feed it and hold on to it. We're like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. We love the ring, but we hate the ring. We love sin, but we hate sin. Most fundamentally, we hate sin, but we also still love sin. And we want to be rid of sin. We want to be rid of the love of sin. We can relate to Paul's words at the beginning of verse 24 there. Wretched man that I am. Wretched woman, wretched boy, wretched girl, wretched people we are who have this battle going on inside us. We are miserable. This experience is terrible. As Paul says in verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from the flesh, from the remnant of corruption? From the residue of the sinful nature, from the law of sin that dwells in my members. The resolution comes in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver us from this body of death? God will deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Paul says in another place, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great ending. But it's actually not where it ends. Notice that the struggle remains, the conflict continues. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So there is a note of triumph and victory, but it's followed by the refrain of conflict and struggle. And that's how it is and will be for us until we die or until Christ returns. But as John Murray said, the warfare continues, but he is upheld in the conflict by the assurance that finally there will be complete deliverance. That's what upholds us in the conflict, the assurance that finally there will be complete deliverance. 
deliverance, redemption, rescue, both now in part and in the future in full, is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Present deliverance. Present deliverance. Who will deliver us? Christ will deliver us. He delivers us now, in part. He has already delivered us from the guilt of our sin in our justification, and He continues to deliver us from the power of sin in our sanctification. We struggle against sin and we battle against sin, but we're not alone in that fight. Christ is with us, and He is faithful and merciful and powerful to help us in the fight. He delivers us by His Word. As we read His Word and receive His Word and remember His Word, as we believe and embrace His Word and rely on His Word, He delivers us. He delivers us through prayer. As we cry to Him and call out to Him and pour out our heart to Him, He hears us and He draws near to us and He answers us. He delivers us. Psalm 34, 4 through 7, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. He delivers us through His Word. He delivers us through prayer. He delivers us through other means as well, like an encouraging word or a challenging word from a fellow church member, or through the words of a hymn or a psalm sung, or through a good book or an article or a blog post, or through a notable providence where He delivers us from a particular battle or temptation. Sometimes He uses creation to deliver us from our present struggle against sin, whether it be a big sky reminding us of how strong He is and mighty to save, or the beauty of a flower reminding us of His beauty and the ugliness of sin, or the intricacy of the human body reminding us of His wisdom and the folly of sin. He uses creation even, to deliver us. Christ delivers us in the present. So where's the battle for you this morning? What battlefield are you on? What particular sins are waging war against the Spirit within you? Look to Christ in faith for deliverance. Present deliverance, but there's also future deliverance that we have to look forward to. When we die, the battle is no more. Shorter Catechism number 37 says, The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves.
until the resurrection. Full and immediate deliverance from sin at death. That's what we have to look forward to. Being with Christ without sin. In the presence of the one in whose presence there is fullness of joy. And at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the future deliverance we look forward to as believers. But there's more. When Christ returns, there will be the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting on the new earth. Shorter Catechism number 38. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. The full enjoying of God to all eternity. Listen to some verses about this. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Or Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. One more. 1 Corinthians 15 again, 53 through 57. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the future deliverance we have to look forward to. When all the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. No more struggle, no more battle. No more sin. Augustine summarized the four states of man this way. Before the fall, it was possible not to sin, and it was possible to sin. After the fall, it is not possible not to sin. That is, we are in bondage to sin. 
after conversion, we are freed from that bondage, and it is possible not to sin, though we still struggle with sin every day of our lives. But in glory, it will be not possible to sin. It will be impossible to sin. Like Lucy said to Edmund and Eustace at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, isn't it wonderful, said Lucy? Have you noticed that one can't feel afraid, even if one wants to? Try it. By Jove, neither one can, said Eustace, after he had tried. It will be impossible to sin because we will be free from sin, fully and finally and forever. That day is coming for all who trust in Christ. But in the meantime, every day that we struggle, that we battle against sin, when we wonder who will deliver us, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you will deliver us on the last day forever. And each new day of our lives here on this earth, help us to look to you for deliverance as we battle against sin. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.